Matthew chapter 5, verses 31 to 37. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes or commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Good morning and welcome to Trinity Grace Church. Um, Scott Swahey, if you celebrated uh, Robbie Burns Day yesterday, I see a few tartan things out there. I hope all of your haggis has been digested and there's no whiskey left at least. Um, if you notice something about Trinity Grace Church, we are very multicultural and uh, uh, multi-racial and all that, but if you notice, the people who come up here, they're often wearing tartan. Have you ever noticed that? Albert especially. <laughs> Albert, though you're Korean, we've welcomed you into this Scottish family a long time ago. <laughs> there is a book, actually, a serious book, uh, How the Scots Invented the Modern World. I think you should all read it. Anyway, no, I do really want to welcome you. I love this church. I love what God is doing in this church. I love that, I, I even love the name, Trinity Grace Church. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, all three in one have intimate desire and identity to relate to us. I want you to think about that. God is the Father. Jesus, as your brother, as your Savior, as one who went on before you, is touched with every infirmity, every pain, every sensual highs and lows that you have. And the Spirit, the one who is at work in the world, work in your life, whether you know God or not, who calls you, who convicts you, who is your counselor. And grace. I don't think we really get it. I hope after the end of today's message, we're getting a little bit more of it. What grace actually means. What it means to be under a gracious system, what it means to have cast off legalism and judgment, though so deserving. So I just want to let you know, as far as I'm concerned, I love what God is doing in this church. I feel privileged to be part of it and to know you, and I'm trusting under the leadership of our elders and the working of the Spirit, that we would grow in grace, grow in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, 
And that in everything, everything, he, though the words be hard, would have the first place. So, let's get into it. It's a long title for a message, but uh, so be it. The main thing is, in, uh, we're in a section now when Jesus is speaking to people who are intelligent, who know the law. They know it. They've memorized it. They are the teachers. And they have certain thoughts about the law, and he sets things right. He just bursts through all of the superficial outward crust of self-righteousness that humans, that people of all stripes have. It's what, what we think and then what he says. And this is not easy. But regardless, um, as Edward said, the gospel, the apostles, they tackle the issues of life. These are timeless issues. And today, we want to listen as best we can to what the Lord Jesus has to say about this topic of marriage, divorce, and remarriage. I am aware, I'm 65, I am aware, and I want to demonstrate that as much of, as any of you, what a, a difficult topic this is. It's personal. It's painful, very painful, and it ain't easy. It's complex. If you're a mathematician, I did a little bit of math myself. Look at all of the different combinations that you could have, a man and a woman, a Christian, not a Christian, an adulterer, not an adulterer, a fornicator, not a fornicator, divorced, not divorced, remarried, you go through that whole path. There's at least 70 different kinds of states of people who are in these issues to do with divorce, marriage, and remarriage. And it's emotional. So I am aware, and it is controversial. I'm trusting, trusting that we, in the grace that we have in Christ, will be able to manage and listen. And that the Spirit, at the end of the day, the Spirit is going to speak to us. And He will speak individually because we're all at different states. We all have stories. And I need to tell you about my story. I need, I've just, and I've shared this with my group, on Wednesday, and they think it's okay. I trust my group. They're very helpful for me. 
The prayers of my group are very helpful to me. The ability we have to share and to listen to one another and to pray for one another. And I have to put this out there only because I don't want any of you to stumble and get into a spot where you think, oh, Uncle Russ, he's got it made. Everything is easy for him. I need to put this out there that I'm not speaking to you. I'm not judging you. I'm not trying to apply the words of Jesus and point them right at you and say, you're, you're exposed. I'm exposing you in your sin or your weakness or your brokenness. I need to demonstrate that that's who I am. And at best, I am like you. I'm broken. I'm a beggar. And I have, by God's grace, found a place where I've been saved. There is salvation in Christ. So, this is personal, but I I feel compelled by the Spirit to share it with you. Here's my mom and dad. That's the way you used to do wedding receptions back in 1949 at a small Ukrainian church in Winnipeg. That's the way they were. My dad, handsome, just out of the Air Force. My mom, from a a, a, uh, bunch of peasants from the Ukraine. She was the first kid in the family to go past grade eight when she went to Winnipeg to finish high school. Fast forward, and she was, she was at this point 29, pretty old to be getting married back in 1949. Fast forward 10 years. Here we were. <laughs> Kingston Road, Midland, Stop 14 we used to call it. There used to be a radio train. I mean, you talk about transit and the LRT way back there was actually transit along Kingston Road all the way out to West Hill, and the stops had numbers. We were at stop 14. That was us. Ten years later, six children later, all boys. (laughs) And I was trying to get photographs of all of us. There is not one photograph that I have of the whole family. Now, You know, cameras didn't have timers on them so much back then, but there aren't very many. Here we are in 1965, en route to Montreal, sitting on one of the cannons at Old Fort Henry. Here we were in Montreal, up at their TD Center, which at that point was the tallest building in the the, uh, Commonwealth. Here we were celebrating my mom's... uh, 65th birthday at the Guild Inn. We're not all there. It is really hard for us to get all together because it's just too many and there's too much brokenness in our family. This is kind of the best that I have. At weddings, we tried to get together. So this is, I think, nine of us plus my beautiful sister-in-law, Sue. That's the best I can give you for the family. The other one is here. 
This is, this is 10 years later, 10 years from the one I showed you at stop 14. This is the only picture we have of my mom and all of her eight kids. It's the only one. 1969. That's when my parents got divorced. That was my mom. Age 50. Eight children. My parents did not have a good marriage. You only find out the depth of the pain when you get married and you find out how fragile, how valuable a woman is with her gifts and her abilities and the way that God has made her and words that you think are neutral are actually crushing her. And then you think back about what my dad did, what he said, how he treated my mom. There was unfaithfulness, there was violence, and ended up in divorce. And that has had, a, has had, a, has had an amazing effect, a disastrous effect in one sense on my family. These are the stats in Canada. If your marriage lasts for 30 years, um, four out of 10 will already have been divorced. You can do the math based on my family, the probability that there will be no divorce in my family, given those stats. If I asked for a show of hands in this audience, if you look at your family tree, go up a generation, look at your siblings, Look at your kids, and if you're old enough, look at your grandkids. And if I were to ask you, and I'm not going to do it, how many of you have not been affected or infected by divorce in your families? I think it would be very few. It's just out there. It's common. In my own family, and I don't need you to, to connect any dots, it's not the point. One of my siblings had two divorces. Christ saved him, and he got remarried to a believer. Another one of my siblings married a person who was divorced. Another one of my siblings got married, struggled all his life with addiction, was a very abusive person to his wife. After two kids, he got divorced. One of my siblings, the most intelligent, the most gifted, the most vibrant of all of us, was married, and after 10 or 15 years, uh, separated from who she married after three kids. And the rest of us, I'm going to quote my brother, Russ, the Sutherlands don't do marriage very well. So I'm telling you that this for me is um, palpable. 
I feel it. This, this was us. It's 42 years ago. Knox College, right, right by the kind of uh, cloisters there. I, I, I work at U of T. I, I walk past that, that little uh, flowering bush there regularly. It's a lot bigger and fatter now, 42 years later. That is my beautiful child wife, Allison. Um, I have not committed adultery with Allison. I have not. In the, in the physical way that we think about it. But if you listen to the words of Jesus last week, I've struggled with lust all of my life. And so, as far as Allison is concerned, she would have easy grounds to divorce me. Easily. The hurt and damage I've done to Allison is terrible. She has cause to divorce me. So I'm only, I'm only putting that out there to let you know that I myself, though I've been married for 42 years and have five beautiful children and grandchildren, um, the only reason we're together is due to some supernatural abilities and work, at least on the case of Allison, and the Spirit of God. That's my disclaimer. I just want to put it out there. So if any of you have any doubt about who I am, or what kind of a pedestal you think I might be standing on, this is, this is how the sermon, the message starts. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In my view, if you are a lock, if you like puzzles, if you are a cryptographer, if you want to understand what the Bible's saying, if you want to figure out what Jesus is actually getting at in this, in this message, that is the key. That's the portal to the whole thing. Unless you are poor in spirit, unless you don't, unless all of this, all of this teaching doesn't lead you to a point where you see your poverty before God, and that every natural talent you have and reputation and status and pride, if that's not all crushed, entirely by the standards in which Jesus has, then I don't think we're going to get it. All of this is, is kind of leading us to a, a culture, a church, a community of Christians that are poor in spirit. We know who we are. No merit in ourselves. Lots of damage, lots of blood, lots of pain. But we're in the game. We're in the family. We are loved by God. We've come home.
This is the key to all of this teaching. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And I think you get it by the spirit. I can't, I can't, I can't compel you to believe what Jesus says. I know the standards are high. They're very high. They're so high that, like the disciples, why then would you ever get married? That was their response. So, let's go through it. This is the common teaching methodology that Jesus uses here. He's teaching, he's talking to the teachers, to those who, were, who know things, to those who are intelligent, to those who have studied the word, memorized it way more than we ever have. And he says, it was also said that whoever divorces his wife and gives her a certificate of divorce, that was what they thought. They were in a context where if, you, if your marriage wasn't going very well, if your partner was a nag, if your husband was a monster, if your wife was getting to look a bit different than when you first married her, then you could get out. There was an out. And it wasn't too hard. You just got a piece of paper. That's what they thought marriage was about in terms of divorce. But I say to you, that's what you've heard. That's what you hear in the street. But I'm telling you this. Everyone who divorces his wife, and I'll get into the exception there, everyone who divorces his wife makes her commit adultery. Do you get that? It's not just that you can put away your spouse. If you do that, it's the same as if she was going to commit adultery, and you are forcing her. You are the one who's guilty of making her commit adultery. And if you as an innocent young person righteous before God, if you marry a divorced woman, then you're committing adultery. That's what Jesus said. Now, we should get the whole context. If you go further in Matthew's gospel, the real thing is that the Pharisees come to him and they, they're testing him and they are asking the question, um, is there any grounds by which, is there, is there a way that I can get out of this? And he says to them, let's go back. Let's go way, way back to the beginning. I'll tell you what the law says. I'll tell you what it is saying. At the beginning, God creates men and women. That's what he does. And in terms of men and women, those that are joined together in marriage, it's not anyone's right or anyone's responsibility to actually separate them. Jesus says that's what the law says. And then so they just come back and say, well, hey, 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 but haven't you read in Deuteronomy? Why then did Moses command that if you wanted to get out of your marriage, you just write the certificate of divorce. Jesus says, well, 
that was breaking my father's heart. That was because you were hard. You decided to go your own way. And he repeats, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. I've already made myself clear about myself being an adulterer. So don't, and that's serious. But here's, that's what he says. Divorce leads to adultery. Remarriage as well leads to adultery. That's the standard that Jesus has. So let's have a look here at what the Pharisees were actually doing. They were preoccupied with how can I get out of this? They were focused on the law. Is there any clause? Is there any legal precedent that I can get rid of this woman? Because I don't like her anymore. As Allison says, and it's so true, she looks at people and says, hey, there was a time when these two people couldn't take their hands or eyes off one another, and now they can't stand each other. And that's not uncommon. They were looking for a way out. Jesus, he's for enduring marriages. That's what he's for. That's the standard that he has. The Pharisees said that Moses gave a command. You should do this. Get out of your marriages, you do this. Jesus reminded them it wasn't a command. You have not interpreted the scripture correctly. You've bent the scripture. It's easy to do that. It was because you were hard that God gave you a concession. Reluctantly, like parents often have to do with their rebellious kids. And, and finally, um, the Pharisees took marriage and divorce quite lightly. Jesus took it, takes it extremely seriously much higher, much, much um, more serious, I think, than any of us do. And with, 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 with few exceptions, he calls remarriage adultery. So where, how about us? Where are we going? Where, that's what happened with Jesus and his crowd way, way back in Palestine. How about us? What, what do we do here at Trinity Grace Church? Well, I like this one. I'm from the hippie generation. I used to have long hair. I used to look somewhat dangerous. <laughs> Christ has called us to be counterculture, not Everything that you see on YouTube and the films and the books and the newspapers and the school system, almost all of that is our culture. And guess what? A lot of it is wrong. Or it's, it's not in the groove. It's not, it's, not, it's not where Jesus wants us to be or where he wants our minds to be or where he wants us to be going. 
He wants us to be counterculture because usually the culture is going in a direction which would not be in favor with his kingdom, his principles, his convictions, his big ideas. Remember how we founded this church. These were Albert's ideas put into words, and they're good ones. This is on our website, by the way, if you want to go there. Overflowing grace into a new culture. It's new. It's not what you were born with. It's not what you get on the street. So here are the big ideas, in my opinion. Marriage is God's foundational idea. It's not a, it's not a side thought. It's not an afterthought. God creates the universe. Amazing creation that we're still figuring out and finding out other stars with other planets and, and oceans in moons around Jupiter. It's amazing, our creation, our own planet, humans themselves. After he does that, there's marriage, right at the beginning. God hates divorce. And that's just not because he's mean. As John was telling me last week, it's, it's not that hard to figure out. God is relational. God relates to us through speech, through our emotions, through our minds. And so when we divorce, that, the relation is broken. And the apostles likened the church to marriage. So what does divorce do about that? How does divorce fit into the picture of us being in Christ? So these are the big ideas that we need to have in our minds. Remember we're broken. Remember we fail. But that doesn't, that doesn't mean that these standards move. I'm a big believer in education. And if there's any place we need to actually teach the truth and the standards, it's in education. We understand there's chaos in the classroom, there's chaos in the family, there's chaos in our own lives. But it's our responsibility to not yield on these big ideas. So, where do we go? I'm putting these out there. I'm asking you to come along with me. I'm asking you to see if these are true. I'm asking us to follow these things. I haven't checked them out with the elders, but I think they're okay with them. I did meet with Albert last week. I think this stuff is going to be okay. We resolve, all of us, that before we talk about divorce, before we get into the abuse, which is rampant, and the, and the infidelity, which is rampant. Be, before we get into all of that, that we're going to talk about marriage first. We're going to talk about reconciliation first. And I know it's too late often 
people get married and then they, they come to the elders and it's too late. The damage is done. They're already separated. They're already living with someone else, whatever it is. We as a group of counterculture people are going to stand for marriage and support all of these new marriages, support them, encourage us to get help, not judge people because they're struggling in their marriage, not judging people because their addictions are destroying their ability to parent, but rather working with them. We resolve to seek what is supernatural. It's not natural when you have been, when your spouse has been unfaithful to you, it's not natural to forgive. It's not natural to want them to repent and just to come back into your arms. We resolve to seek supernatural, that which is of the Spirit, that which you can't define, you can't have a course on it, you can't give a seminar on it, it has to be miraculously given to you. And I'm going to give an example of that near the end. To forgive and repent, rather than the natural thing, which is natural, is to be bitter. That's the natural thing because you've worked your, your whole life for the marriage and for the family, and now in one moment, the thing is smashed and destroyed, and all of your work is gone. It's burnt. It's on the ash heap. It's going down the road. All your money's going to the lawyers. It's very easy to be bitter and hate. That's natural. <clears throat> we resolve to see ourselves as sinners. Remember any of us who think we need to judge someone, there is discipline in the church. It's the job of the elders. I found the elders in this church and Leaside to be very gracious and very aware of discipline and how it works. But for the rest of us, we need to remember the reason we came to Christ, the reason we got excited about being saved is because we ourselves were the prodigal. We ran away with all the money and disappointed mom and dad and just spent it on wild living and didn't want anything to do with God. And he called us back in our pain, in our broken bones. And that this is, so this is our identity. This is who we see who we are as humans, and Christ has saved us. He's brought us into a new place. He's doing something in our lives, which is supernatural. And finally, and again, these are mine. I'm, I'm putting them out there for you. I trust the elders are going to say amen to them. They're not easy. We resolve as countercultural Christians at Trinity Grace Church to live our lives in the light not of tomorrow or of 
our jobs or of our bank account or of our next piece of real estate or our next vacation, which are all, which are all temporal. We resolve to view our lives in, in, in the light of eternity, the big, the long game, that there's eternal life. It's beginning now, but it's, it's not going to stop. And these, these values of service, every mother I've ever met gets this by nature. The church men, talking to you now, the church largely has been built on the shoulders and hearts and minds of women. We need to get busy. These are examples. This is just my experience in the churches that I've been part of. <clears throat> we need to have service and sacrifice as the big picture, the long view, the driving force, rather than, the, and, and this is our culture, self-actualization, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, personal fulfillment, People get married and they want their partner to fulfill them sexually and emotionally and intellectually and all of those things. That's the expectation that we have going into marriage. And it's going to, it's going to lead us onto the rocks really fast. And happiness is fleeting. It may be part of the American dream. It may be in their constitution, but it's not part of Christian counterculture at all. In fact, in my experience, uh, the work of grace, the work of salvation, usually follows the path of suffering and pain. Usually. Christ, um, you can look at his life as an example. Let's move on. I want to get done before 40 minutes, Albert. Um, I'm going to quickly go through this. You've heard it said that, uh, you know, that when you swear by God, then you should do the right thing. Jesus says, don't get caught up on kind of who you swear by. Don't get caught up by promising by heaven or by Jupiter or on my mother's grave or on my dad's bank account, don't, don't have any kind of standard when you're putting it out there. Focus on actually what you've promised. As I say, in our system, you need to be under oath before you'll tell the truth. Just look at all of the circus down south where people say, I'm, I'm just being, being, uh, being interviewed you know, like by NBC, or Fox News, or the CBC. I can say what I want. It's only when you are in the court system, and you swear on the Bible, that you're going to tell the truth. And if you don't tell the truth, then there's a penalty. Jesus says, don't, don't be like that. We don't need affidavits. We don't need to be in court before we actually get serious about saying what we're going to do or who we are. 
So, Christ has called us to be counterculture in this regard, to our speech. Again, we have a new culture. Big ideas. Again, this is just my thinking. God is God of truth. Sanctify them in truth, thy word is truth. I am the way, the truth, and life. God is truth. God hates lying. He hates it. That shouldn't surprise you. I remember as we were parenting and our kids got to be teenagers, and they began to lie to us, just right in our face. And it, it, just, it just destroyed us. Of all that we did and tried to give good principles, and then your kids are lying right to your face. Nothing you can do. God hates that. And everything that God says to us, all of the covenants that we have with God, all of them, and many of them are unconditional. He just puts it out there. And all of them are yes and amen. All of them are the most secure investments that one can ever make. That's my testimony. I make it by faith. Of all of the stuff out there, of all of the things in the world that you depend on. This one, literally, can take it to the bank. It's more secure than the Bank of Canada. That's God. So we resolve to be honest with one another and to confess our lies and deceit. Recently, um, I was talking with someone in our church, and we were talking about some of my devious behavior, sinful behavior, and I, I didn't like that. I tried to fudge the truth. Well, it's not really like that. It's this happened and then this happened. I was lying to that person because I didn't want to be caught. I didn't want to show myself as being naked, as having actually failed. And so I got off the phone or the off the internet or wherever it was, or chat, whatever it was, and I was convicted that I had just lied to a brother because that's who I am. And I had to go back and confess to that person that I was lying. That's counterculture. And we need to forgive one another when we repent of our, of our lies and of our deceit, our variation, we say we do this and we don't do it, and of the self-interest. Always, always, always trying to protect yourself and your image as being good, as, as being better than someone else. I want to go back to this picture here, 1969. My mom was almost 50. That's when the divorce happened. What actually happened, through the pain, through the breakup, is my mom, and it's pretty rare, in her mid-50s, she came to Christ. A revolution, a counterculture stream started to flow into this broken family. And my mom through the Spirit, began to understand what it meant for her to be poor in spirit. 
And in, in my words, she was able to, un, with God's grace, to kind of bring back the years which the locusts had eaten. That's the power of the gospel. That's counterculture. I'm going to close at 40 minutes, Albert. I'm going to close. My mom was a journaling person. I have all of her journals. This is a letter she wrote to my dad. 20 years later. In it, she basically says, Howie, you know, we failed. And I take the blame. I'm as much to blame as you are. But, look what we have. Look at the kids we have. Look at, look at the salvation, basically, she was saying, that's come into my life. And I hope that you get that too. That's counterculture.